Hey, what's going on today on the podcast? My good friend, ADCC vet, former UFC veteran, a former Strike Force champion, and currently awesome human being, Jake Shields joins us. When you're when you're just like training and you're not really even training for a fight, you're still training three hours a day. Like you're still in great shape on the side. Like you're you're still in better than ninety nine percent of the population. So really, that six or eight weeks is just focused peak to get like that exactly. that turbocharge button. But like yeah, to go from like was was Nick not um, without getting into any personal stuff? Was he just not in a headspace to kind of be like, I, I, yeah, this is what I'm doing right now? Yeah, I think he just because he started fighting at such a young age, and that's and he was really just fight, fight. He's you know, kid, he had no other options. You either make it or you're becoming nobody, you know. So I think he just had so much stress from a young age of fight, 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 and always pressure, big fight, fame. So he just like he was sick of it and wanted to step away for a while. So he completely wasn't training at all, and then you know he could be able to drink a little too much. I think most people know that, which I think he's he's went and got himself sober, luckily. So I think uh, I, I think we definitely could see a completely new Nick, you know, which actually. I'll, Talking about probably calm day. I haven't talked to him for a while, but from what I hear, he's doing way better and motivated. And I would, you know, he could come back and uh, and, and tear it up again. Yeah, so. I mean, I, th- I think that like some of the guys that come off of like if you haven't had like a, a loss that really affects you mentally, it, it, like you take that loss and you can really flip that switch. Cause sometimes you need the motivation. Like for me mm-hmm. personally, like getting into like the gym, right? Like I have to get so out of, like I get excited. Cause I'm like, I'm going to eat like shit for two weeks. I'm going to get as fat as right. I can to really mm-hmm. give myself the leverage to catapult back into it. Otherwise it's kind of like a half hearted effort. Do you think that, that, that fight with Robbie Lawler was that for Nick where he's like, all right, this was like, not, this is not how I want to be remembered in the UFC. Now I know I can do it on short notice. I'm going to go out there. Cause he's always going to be a fucking yeah. draw. I really think it, I really think it could, you know, I hung out with him the next day since then, you know, he went and haven't seen him that much, but the next day he was like, man, I could have fucking, maybe I still could do this. I think he was kind of burnt out and was overfighting. And I think the fight might've been a wake up call. Like, Hey man, maybe I still got what it takes to come out there and have a couple of huge wins, a couple of huge paydays. And that's really what I hope happens. Cause he showed he has the heart, you know, going out there with no camp and still going, what is it? Three rounds toe to toe with a game, Robbie Lawler, who's one of the hardest hitters in the sport. It just shows he has the, shows he has the fight in his heart even though he wasn't prepared at all. So, I mean, I, I think it's a weird call for him, but it's, you know, like, you know, Nick's a enigmatic character, as everyone knows. So even, even us that are, even people that are close to him, he's still a guy that you never quite know what he's going to do. He's, he's been a complete wild card, even for the people closest to him. I remember Caesar would call me and be like, uh, Jake, make sure he comes to this press conference. So I'm just like, Caesar, I, I don't control him either. Nick's not really, uh, he's not a guy that anyone will control. What do you want me to do? I can try to tell him, but the more I push him, the less likely he's to do it. That's funny. You know, speaking of fighting on short notice, when you started training with Chuck Liddell, I think it was uh, that was your first formative MMA training right back in like 99. You took your first fight only a few weeks later. What the hell was what was that like? I know one of your teammates dropped out, but how did you decide, hey, I'm training for a couple of weeks. How hard can this MMA thing be? Yeah, I was, uh, you know, not not the brightest young kid, probably. (laughs) And things also then it wasn't uh, sport was still tough, but it wasn't quite as professional back then. There was guys trained from like single disciplines and I had a big wrestling background. So it's not like I was completely brand new because wrestling, you know, is, is a martial art. So all the years wrestling. And then, you know, I was out of fight watching a guy popped out and I was just like, yeah, fuck it. I'll, I'll jump in there and fight. And, you know, when I'm sitting there back there, you know, jump in, tape my hands, I'm sitting there be like, what did I just volunteer for? Why, why did I just volunteer to fight? But, you know, but, but too late at that point. Was that even, um, was that sanctioned at the commissions or was that still kind of where no, it was like, no, it was, it was just... not sanctioned because the time I started fighting, it was actually, it was illegal in most States. We could only fight. We had to go out to uh, Indian reservations. That was the only way we were able to fight back then. That's funny. Did you go and like it? out there? It was, it was pretty much free for all. So some of them would just, some of the shows were ran professionally. If it was motor and some of them were just like anything goes, you know, pulling people out of the audience. There was one where I saw, uh, 
saw some uh, big fat girl fight a, fight a man. You're like, at first you're like, oh yeah, this would be interesting. And then you watch it actually happen. And you're like, oh man, this is why, this is why men and women shouldn't fight. First, the crowd's all pumped up and they change real quick. When the dude starts uh, beating her up, you realize, okay, this isn't good. That's not, oh geez, man. That's great. You know, speaking of um, women and men beating each other up, we, you posted something the other day that uh, on your Instagram about like the, the two transgender athletes and like we've had a few <laughs> transgender athletes. Like I think you do whatever you want yeah. in your personal life, but I definitely think that it's, it's crazy to think that there's not a, a distinct advantage like like you know of of a male's body physiologically from birth getting you know all those testosterone and, and the way you grow in muscles and bone density there's a huge 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 difference do you think that there is going to be a time where we see more transgender athletes cross over in the mma space um unfortunately probably yeah like you said i mean it's a huge uh huge huge advantage it's just it's insane that we're allowing the society and acting like it's uh actually like nothing's wrong with it. Just like you said, I have no problem if someone wants to be trans. If a guy wants to wear a dress and, you know, call him a girl's name, I'll do that and treat him. If he's respectful, I'll be respectful. I mean, to her, I'll call him a her if he wants to be respectful. But when you start saying you're actually a female and actually going to compete against them athletically, it's just, uh, it's screwing over women. And that the weird part is watching some of these feminist groups push this, they're screwing themselves. And it's, uh, it's a strange thing to watch. But I've noticed when I've spoke about it, like on Twitter and stuff, I have a ton of, um, ton of like men get angry at me but the guys that get angry are always these really weird looking weak beta men so i think they're guys that have never played sports they don't realize how much stronger they are than women and it's almost like they might be guys that like have hatred toward women it's probably guys that women reject so it's almost like maybe they're maybe they're enjoying watching women get punished in sports yeah, it's not that right, and I think that that's the the caveat too. Is that it's it it can be viewed two ways. It can be viewed as like we're not. It's not that we're putting down the transgender movement. It's the opposite. It's that like you're not really being fair to these athletes, these women that sacrifice and compete. And it really, it's kind of like taking steroids as a baseball player. It's a it's a shortcut. Like you're oh, look, if you're competing as a man or a woman, you're putting in the hours of blood, sweat, and tears. But you have a distinct advantage from a physical point of view, for the most part, yeah. like men fighting women that we've seen like MMA. I mean, stuff like that. I forget, oh, I forget the, the African-American chick's name that um, that that competed. But I mean, it's that's tough. But you put up that that meme with the, the two the two female um, two, finalists yeah, two were both the transgenders. Yeah. The first and second were both transgender. It's like that just shows you the difference. And these were, you know, I'm sure when they were men, they were probably like B level and they switch over and start dominating. And it's just clearly unfair. And the reason this one hits home to me is being an athlete, you know, I dedicated my whole life to sports. And I feel so bad for these women that have dedicated their whole life to these sports. And if someone, cause I know, I know how serious it is. People are like, Oh, it's just sports, but we take this very seriously. It's how, you know, we make a living. It's like comes our whole life. And for someone could just come in, switch over, become a girl and start dominating you. You know, I also have a daughter who played sports. It's a, uh, it's not fair to women. People try to act like, you know, oh, you're being a bigot and anti-trans. It's like, no, they're coming in and screwing over real women that are working hard. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it, it's, it's a crazy time, man, we live in, you know, so when you first started training, you, you were a two-time junior national college uh, wrestling champ. You had a lot of wrestling accolades, like you talked about. Then you got into jujitsu. At what point did you decide that fighting was a career that, that would be a viable path for you? Um, I was addicted to it right away, but there wasn't really much money. I was like, oh, you know, maybe open a gym after something. So I was doing it and not seeing much money for a while, but I knew I wanted to do it for a while. And then I started seeing, uh, you know, Chuck Liddell being one of my really good friends and mentor. So I said, I'm starting making pretty good money or, or I was young and broke, but I thought it was good money. He'd probably make like 50 grand a fight. And I was like, oh, you can make real money. You know, you get a little older, make a little money. You're like, oh, okay. He wasn't making much money. But at the time it was like, man, this guy's making, making bank. Maybe there is a, a career here. So I saw that and just started, uh, taking it super, super serious. And then luckily, you know, as I went along, the money slowly uh, kept going up. 
You know, obviously, like the the UFC and the MMA space has made a, a bunch of leaps and bounds in terms of like USADA testing and even like uh, being more flexible with things like the, I think I forget who it was. It was Nick or Nate got popped for like I think it was a Nate got or Nick got popped for like yeah, medical Nate, marijuana yeah. and it's like give me a fucking it was break. Something that was it was some weird like I forget what it even was. It was something that was so obvious. Everyone can look at Nate and knows he's never done steroids. He's been anti-steroid. It was something that was weird, like in a supplement. It was like such a trace amount that would have zero performance enhancer. I forget what, this, what the product was. I think it was something I've even heard of, but it was like some weird thing. I think it's been a few people pop. So boxers and stuff popped with it too. Apparently it was like food and supplements. Yeah. And, and I think originally a couple people actually got suspended and didn't get their uh, suspensions pulled over the same supplement. I can't remember what it was or the same thing. But then eventually, I think Nate was the one where people were just so like, man, this is ridiculous. So now they started, if you have a tiny trace, because it's such a small amount that has no performance benefit, but it happens to be in some supplements and stuff. So it's not fair for a athlete to get nailed from something, you know, when, when amount is too small. Yeah. And that's why, that's why it gets tricky. We definitely want to catch, catch the cheats and get them out of there, but we got to be careful not to, you know, suspend people that legitimately aren't on stuff either. That's why I see like uh, everybody that came over from Pride because I mean I think we can all the general consensus we agree everybody in Pride was guys, pretty yeah, much most, juiced to the probably heels. like eighty percent at least was on steroids. Yeah, the ones that won any fights were on steroids. Yeah. Like I mean I can tell you right now, Rogan's talked about it. He was there with like when I was I I actually sat down with Joe and uh, Eddie and uh, Saki Abara and we were they were talking about um, it, me potentially fighting Sakuraba and he's like oh you just use oh, wow. use steroids. Like very blatant, just you should get bigger. Just just yeah. use, use steroids. Like they were, it was so they didn't care. I mean, there was nothing was in like their contract. The culture, yeah. yeah, it was very. It's a different. It's a different place. Um, but like whenever those guys came over here, like I mean, I when uh, I think it was Shogun fought. Um, when Shogun is let's see, it was Shogun's first fight, and he fought Forrest Griffin, and everyone's like, oh, yeah. oh Shogun's gonna crush him, and I was nah, like, man, he he's not on the suit. Yeah. He was not on the sauce, man. That it does make a big difference. But that's the same thing, kind of with men and women. Like you, that extra testosterone mm-hmm. that plays a huge factor. It's effectively like being on, and you can say, well, you know, we're taking estrogen and stuff like that. But, yeah, but, but what about the other thirty years? Stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's yeah, crazy. They're still gonna have more, more bone mass, more density. They're still gonna be stronger. Doesn't matter. You can put me on estrogen for two years. I'm still gonna be able to beat up women. It's just the you know, <laughs> the truth of the matter. So you know, you talk about like yeah, when when you first started fighting back in the '90s and stuff. I mean, th- those were not only were they horribly regulated, if at all, but the money was a couple hundred bucks, and then you start making some yeah. money. Um, as a parallel, the jujitsu space, which you've been exceedingly active in both lately and even mm-hmm. before, like I think just in the past several years, talk about like be guys being able to make i mean i've never heard of a guy like gordon ryan making he's a millionaire from yeah, jujitsu that's crazy to think yeah it's amazing because there's uh i mean there's there's not a lot of guys from millionaires in jujitsu but the fact that there's a few because i remember originally in fighting it was the first one there was the first couple fighters from millionaires it's like uh that's awesome and it's uh there's a decent amount of guys that can make decent living in jiu-jitsu because there's I mean, between there's matches it's not like a fight too where you can only fight a few times a year I mean, a lot of these matches you know you know five grand but you can like do one almost every weekend and there's tournaments that are paying, you know, 50 grand to win. I mean, guys like Gordon, I'm for sure. He's probably getting like 30 grand a match or who knows, maybe even more, but he's, you know, he's the best in the world. So they're starting to be getting not crazy money, but you can get paid a little bit for it. And I'm like, dude, a lot of times you guys will do a match. They'll go to a seminar in the same town. Some of the guys can teach a little. So there's definitely starting to be a path towards, towards a good living with jiu-jitsu. Plus with uh, BJJ Fanatics, which I actually have, you know, tapes on there as well. Selling our instructionals, that's a good extra cash coming in. Just, to, you know, you film a couple of these instructionals and then you have money coming in steadily monthly from, uh, from the videos, which that's where, you know, Gordon Ryan, I think he's got the biggest selling instructionals. Him and John Donahue, that's where he makes the, uh, the majority of his money. 
Yeah. And he's like, and he could do a seminar every week if he wanted to, too. I mean, like he's yep. constantly traveling, doing those seminars. You know, he did, did some with Tom DeBlass. When, um, what was a, the catalyst to make you go train with John Danaher? Was that like because of one of the guys or because of John or GSP or how did you end up over there? It was a combination of things. I would travel out to New York and I like love the city, love the energy there. And it was like, I was getting kind of sick of San Francisco because I'd been there so long. And then, you know, our team, uh, amazing team, but we weren't all meeting as much to train anymore. San Francisco, the scene had kind of fallen, fallen apart. And then you know, I went there and John, uh, John was an amazing teacher. And then it was also, it was kind of early on when his team was first forming, you know, we had, you know, Gary Tonin, Gordon Ryan, they were like, I think Gordon was the only purple then, but obviously insanely good purple belt. There was this guy, um, Eddie Cummings. It has, it was such a good little, like, tight team it kind of felt like the old scrap pack days when you know me and nick nate and gill were pushing up so it just uh it felt good to go train with these young guys and it was so technical learning new stuff and a combination of loving new york city so i'm like you know what i'm gonna come out here and live for a couple of years and uh and, and check out this new style just to the john donahue's pushing what do you think is like the main difference between training with guys like i mean some of the best in the world gilbert melendez Caesar gracie mm-hmm. and then training at a spot with like john danner what's what makes him so different and so effective I think John is just really good at uh, studying tapes and being creative and putting and combining stuff together. So he does invent some moves, but a lot of it is, is he's just combining and, and making, making things more systematic and he's really good at teaching it. So he'll kind of look and figure out how things are done, how to combine them, how to combine jujitsu and wrestling, you know? So he'll watch a lot of these Iranian wrestlers and Russian wrestlers and figure out ways to mix it with jujitsu. So it's, maybe he's not bending a new move, but he's finding ways to uh, combine them and stuff better. So it's extremely uh, innovative way of pushing things. And um, yeah, I think he's also really smart. He watches his athletes a lot and watches us train and then readapts how he does his teaching. So he might be trying to teach something, maybe whatever reason we're being idiots and not getting it. He might try to teach it different the second day. He learns how to adapt and, you know, maybe he can see something he's trying to teach that we're just not sticking and maybe he'll pull away and, and push a different direction if it's not working or if it is working, you know, keep pushing it, uh, pushing it more. He's just, I think he's very, um, I think he's just always watching, paying attention. You know, because he's there every day training or every day coaching. And a lot of times, you know, I'll coach, but then I usually train. So I don't have to watch the athletes. He sits there and watches every athlete so and see what we're doing and make adjustments. That's great. You know, you said um, that when you first met Gordon, he was like a purple belt and was early on in the day. At what point did you train with Gordon and you start to realize that he's just not, because Gordon Ryan wasn't Gordon Ryan until he really became Gordon Ryan, right? So like he was just another guy in the room doing well mm-hmm. for a while. At what point were you like, man, this kid is something special? pretty early on it wasn't the first time i trained with him the first time i trained with him it was like okay this kid's really good but it wasn't like wow this kid's gonna be the next level you know it was like wow this is a good it was wow this is an amazing purple belt but then i think within like you know a year or so of training with him might even before i moved out there he just started excelling probably when he got his brown belt and it was like wow this guy's like starting to tap out elite black belts he started giving me like just hell in the room and he's you know he just started getting better and better like man, this kid's getting good. He's gonna start. Uh, he's gonna start smashing people. And then within like a year past that, he was just manhandling people. You know, I think so. Right before he started winning the EBI is when I started realizing, oh wow, this kid's good. When he remember when he, cause remember when he went into EBI, I'm like, I think this guy's gonna win it. He's the real deal. And he he progressed like really quick. It went from oh, this is a this is a really tough purple belt that give me good rounds to man, he's tapping everyone in the room. 
Yeah. I remember when I saw a similar situation when I was there when Gary Tonin fought um, Aoki overseas in uh, Singapore. And and I wasn't yep. was like a super jujitsu nerd at the time. And so I wasn't like familiar with who Gary Tonin was. Obviously, I knew who Aoki was. Yeah. And um, I vaguely heard of the name Gary Tonin. And actually, um, uh, what's his name? Um, our Greek friend. Um, that I can't think Oh, Denny? Yeah, Denny was out there too. Yeah. And he's like, man, he's something special. And I got to give Denny credit. He goes, he's going to like heel hook him in like seven minutes. And he heel hooked him in seven yeah. minutes. And I was like, that's best. Pretty insane. Yeah, he. I mean, like, yeah, no. yeah, he's such yeah, a Gary. such talented cat, man. Yeah, and he's one of the most fun guys to watch too. I don't know if there's anyone more fun to watch than Gary Tonin because he's uh, he's so athletic and explosive and so technical. So it's rare when you have someone that, that's both. Like uh, Gordon's extremely technical, but he's like slow and methodical. He's not explosive at all, which that's actually so impressive that a guy with like not traditional good athletic abilities become the best in the world. But Gary has more of that explosive, exciting. So he's jumping into hill hooks, jumping into exploding triangles. So he's one of the one of the most fun, if not the most fun, jiu-jitsu guys to watch. And I think it's a it's a shame he's not a bigger name in the U.S. At least in MMA. I think in jiu-jitsu he's a huge name, but in MMA he's um he's hardly known of because he fights over one FC. But uh, he's a uh, he's a he's a phenom, and I expect big things out of him. What um like how do you gauge your own outside looking in? Do you consider yourself more of a methodical, explosive? What would you how would you quantify your your style? Yeah, I'm definitely not super athletic, unfortunately. So I was always have to, I always had to slow things down, be more methodical, methodical with approach, get the clinch. I was never able to, you know, do do giant shooting uh, explosive doubles and jumping triangles and all that. I mean, obviously you can hit some of it with the technique, but it just wasn't gifted with that natural uh, athletic explosion. Yeah, speaking of athletic explosions, a guy like uh, I had Nikki Rodriguez on, and we were talking about how he kind of got started. And uh, you know, he obviously, he I think is an outlier. He's super athletic, and I think he'll even yes. say like he just outworks a lot of guys. But two weeks into training, he was doing a competition, which with these aren't high level black belts, but he was still going to like local events, beating black belts, which. When you first start training jujitsu, it would be unheard of for someone to walk yeah. in and beat a black belt. Um, what's your been experience been like rolling with a guy like a, of that athleticism? Dude, complete freak athlete. And was he probably 240, 245? I mean, I haven't trained with him maybe in like two years, but he was uh, right away. He was really good. Had a lot of holes in his games, of course, so I could find little holes. But uh, he started closing the holes really quick. So as he came in, he just, you know, he progressed within like a year, two years, whatever. He was a... Uh, complete phenom you know he was so athletic you know got a ton of work from uh from john and then you know gordon all the time would he would he'd need him for a workout party to wrestle so he spent a lot of time with him after the training you know one-on-one on the mats we progress so fast you know someone that athletic with someone like gordon helping you every day you're gonna you're gonna get good quick yeah you know that's crazy that they that they split without getting into the, the craziness of that i think that nicky rod said that you know he obviously he trains every day because he wants to beat Gordon because Gordon's the best guy, which makes sense. Do you think that, that that's a, a matchup? Cause you've seen those guys roll, you know, in the gym. Do you think that that's a matchup yeah. that Nikki could surprise the world? Or do you think Gordon's got his number? Um, it's just, you know, it's hard to say, you know, it's uh, the Gordon I saw, you know, was beating everyone at that time, but you never know what, you know, what they're training. Does Gordon have the training partner trying not to push him? Cause it's a, uh, he said the split's very unfortunate because it was, you know, I'm friends with everyone on both sides. So it was, so for me, that was terrible to see. And I was, I've no, had no part in the split. So it's terrible seeing that. And you hear, you know, I talk to both sides and to me, it sounds like, it sounds like they all could have just sat, sat down and had a good talk and worked it out to be honest. But at this point, I think it's, it's too late when you get, you know, grown men, their egos come in and it's like, they just, it's really hard to get guys to go back and be like, you know what, maybe, maybe we could just sit back and solve this. So it's, you know, now, now it's gone too far, but really I don't think no one really seems to be that big of a bad guy on either end the way I saw it. And it's, um, 
Yeah, but you know, back to the question of Gordon, like it's he's not going to be easy to beat. I'm not saying Nicky Rod can't beat him, but Gordon's my favorite against anyone. Speaking of anyone coming up, he's got that that super fight with Andre Galvalo. Do you think that Galvalo's if there's anyone that can beat him, do you think he's in the top five? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, that's an exciting match, and uh, everyone wants to see. I think the 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 slap, you know, the slap hurt around the world uh, adds to that and made Gaval come back out. And, but if anyone could beat him, it is Gaval because he is not easy to tap. He's extremely strong. He he appears to get in amazing shape. He blasts through people. I think that's going to be a tough, tough, exciting match. And and the bad blood just adds to it. I mean, the fact that um, Gaval's got to hate him because you know he came to his face and slapped him, and that was a I like Val, so I don't want to knock him, but that was hugely, hugely humiliating for him to get like slapped when he, because he's the one that approached Gordon. It'd be different if Gordon came up and like bullied him, but Val ran in Gordon's face talking crap and then Gordon just smacked him. You know, he backed up and he came for the second time and got slapped again. So it wasn't, uh, wasn't a good look for Gaval. Like I said, it'd be different if Gordon just ran up and slapped him because Gaval was the, the aggressor to got slapped and walk off, made him uh, made him look bad. And I'm sure it was hugely humiliating in Brazil. So that's why, or I assume that's why he decided to take the match. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm surprised that you know, with the split and stuff, just not really surprised, but with the split, it seems like a guy like Nicky Rodriguez would be a great training partner for someone to train like Galvao because they're both so explosive, strong, and top, top pressure game. I wonder who Gordon is really training with because you made a good point, especially at the, the high levels. Like when you're in that top 1%, even the top 1% of the top 1%, like it's hard to find training partners that can push you. You know, like your ego, right, sometimes wants to be the best in the room, but that doesn't make you better, right? You got to have those guys that you can try technique on and you got those guys that you can get worn down on and exploit and get better at too. Um, how hard is it to, to, to find that when you're at the top level, when you're leaving schools and stuff like that? And it's really tough, you know. Even for me, it's really, really tough being one of the best in the girl, best in the world. Is it can be in certain places I go to where I just can't get guys to push me. And you look at Gordon, what he's like two, probably weighs two twenty, so he's a heavyweight, and he's like literally the best jiu-jitsu guy in the world. So to find training partners, because he's bigger to top it off, so it comes almost impossible. So it's a. Uh, you know, but sometimes you can progress and get better when you don't have a training partner. Sometimes I've made my biggest bounds is when I had no training partners. I had guys who weren't that good, and I was experimenting, trying new things. So that's the the flip side to it. But, you know, for Gabao, it would be nice because he's big training partners. Especially, like I said, Nicky Rodriguez, he has, you know, uh, Craig Jones there to train with every day. Before, Because before, Gordon had had uh, Nicky Ryan and Craig to train with. Now he's missing those two great workout partners. Yeah, you've, you've, um, you've been a vegan for a long time, right? A vegetarian, so I eat eggs and cheese. But, yeah, my whole life. Is that is that more plant based or is it ethically? I didn't know there was a difference for a while. Yeah, well, um, I grew up vegetarian. My parents were vegetarian, so for okay. me, it was uh, it was super easy. I never really gave it much thought. The few times I ate meat, it made me kind of sick, and I felt kind of gross by it. And I just um, I think ethically, it, it is especially factory farming. It's like disgusting, and the fact I think if you grow up eating meat, you never even really think about it or it doesn't cross your mind. But for me, the few times I eat meat, I kind of think about it like, oh, I should have eaten this, and I don't feel good you know, mentally and physically eating it. So I just never, uh, never started doing it. So you really don't have anything to compare it to. Cause a lot of people, I, I, I watched a couple of the documentaries on Netflix, like uh, game changers and uh, what was the other, what the health and subsequent to watching both of those, the sentient and I like to think intelligent Jason's like, Oh, you know, in it, in it truthfully wasn't full transparency. wasn't an ethical thing. It was solely like, Hey, you're stupid to smoke cigarettes because of X, Y, and Z. You're stupid to eat meat because of X, Y, and Z. And I tried to be vegetarian for a few months and I would be. And yeah. what happens is I'm just eating a bunch of pasta, getting fat out of shape. And I know like three meals to cook. So like it's been, yeah, how, it's, tough. it's it, do you, but like you, you grew up that way. So like for you, it's just psh, easy. For me, exactly. It's super easy because I've never eaten it. So it never even really crossed my mind to be as an option because there has been a few times where I've switched to vegan for a few months. And it's the same thing. I'll be vegan for a while 
and then it gets like hard, like everyone's out, they're eating pizza. And I'm like, oh, it's just easier to do. So it's hundred percent. I'm the same with you. So that's why I understand. I'm not like one of those vegans. It's like tries to or vegetarians. It's always trying to guilt trip people like, oh, you should switch over. So I understand how hard it is. Cause when I tried switching vegan, I saw how hard it is. And it's uh, especially going vegan, like cooking the right food. You have to actually make a huge effort to get the right protein. So there was a time when I was like, went vegan for a few of my fights, but I had like higher, uh, hire a chef to get the right protein or the right proteins in meals. And that obviously uh, gets expensive if you're having a chef come and cook for you. I know when you first, your first four fights, I think we're at 185 pounds. And then when you decided to really go serious, you got down to Walter weight. Being vegan, did you have to cut a lot of weight? Because some guys like were cutting 15, 20, 30 pounds in a few days. Was that a, ever a concern for you? Weight cuts are always pretty easy for me. I walk around around 185, so I, that's considered a pretty small. You know, some of the 55 pounders are bigger than me. It's the funny part. Sometimes I train with 55 pounders, and they're like way bigger than me. So it's a pretty easy cut. But again, I always did cut at least 10 pounds of water before. So it, you know, the water still sucked because I would never overcut to the last minute. Yeah, that, that, that I think that the UFC's had um, had some. They've changed things. I, I'm not sure, but like in terms of like how much water weight you can cut anymore, don't they have some sort of some sort of barometer now where you can't cut more than like? Because some guys are cutting so much weight. I mean, you have people die. I mean, one FC yeah. guys die from that. It's crazy. They, I know they check your water and stuff. But I don't think they have any official rules on it. So it's kind of like they'll encourage you, like, hey, this is too much. But I'm pretty sure they actually don't pull fights. Mm-hmm. They may have like one or two fights when guys are just like so so insanely heavy. I think maybe they bumped it up to catch weights and stuff. But overall, I, I don't think they have a set criteria like one FC has. You know, so going back a little bit to some of your earlier fights, and when even before that, when you first walked in, I mean, that room e- evolved into. I mean, you guys were all at the top of the food chain at one point or another. Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz, yourself, mm-hmm. Gilbert Melendez. Um, oh my gosh, and I can't think of the other. We had, we had other guys. We had um, David Terrell. Terrell, Ab- David Terrell, absolute killer, absolute killer. He fought for the title. We had Gil Castillo, also fought for the title. So we had a ton of good, uh, good guys. And the cool thing that gym was completely organic. A lot of gyms nowadays, the super gyms, you know, guys recruit, people move there. We all just kind of started randomly training there together and all pushed and all you know fought at the highest level. Was was Nick and Nate? there when you got there or did they come subsequent to you coming i think nick maybe came like just right right before me maybe a couple months so he was like the really tough uh scrappy new guy and i came in and me and nick used to just go in and uh and go at it because he was kind of like the the tough the other tough new guy you know david trell was way better than me at that time he was just he would just smash us both so me and nick would kind of go and try to beat each other up and then one day i brought in gilbert melendez and then, and then that, that's when Nick's looking like, huh, well, Jake brought this guy in. So he made his brother come with him, I think, the next day. <laughs> I don't think his brother – I don't think his brother really had a choice. He like, didn't really have much either because I ended up, you know, got in a fight with my baby's mom and moved just randomly. He was my college buddy. I'm like, oh, I'm going to stay at your house for a couple of days. Next thing I know, I didn't move out for a couple of years. So I just started uh, – I started making Gil, hey, we're going to train. Uh, Nick did the same with Nate. So I don't think those two really ever uh, really ever had a choice. We kind of made them become fighters. But uh, – I, I doubt they're too angry at angry at us because they were both quite successful. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it, like, and all of you guys have have had a tremendous amount of success, which is which is crazy. Did you? Um, I mean, you went on a long a streak. I think it was what six years before you ended up. You had like fifteen fights you won in a row before you lost the GSP. Which I mean, that's yeah. Pff, everybody loses the GSP. Did, have you got a chance to train with him subsequently at Danaher's at all? Yeah, I've actually trained with him uh, quite a bit, you know, became friends after. And it's kind of cool with the guy because he's always a guy I had a ton of respect for because he was, you know, the best welterweight in a while. He's, that's why I wanted to fight him. That's why I signed with the UFC over, uh, you know, to, took a pay cut from Strikeforce to go fight in the UFC because I wanted to fight GSP because I had respect for him. And uh, yeah, we became friends. I've actually gone up to Montreal a couple times. I hung out with him. We trained quite a bit. So it's, uh, he still trains all the time. You know, he's a true martial artist. Even though he's retired, he uh, still trains every day and trying to get better. 
do you think someone like GSP, like you look at the, the how Nick was not in a headspace to fight and then for whatever reasons he, he ends up being compelled to take this fight on short notice. Do you think if GSP got a call today and got the right fight, the right offer, that in four weeks from right now he could be competitive? Uh, 100% because he, like you said, we were talking about, you know, he's, you know, he hasn't fought forever. He's still training every day. So his body, he's out there training with elite pros. He goes into, you know, uh, TriStar and I'm sure he smashes like all the uh, all these dudes getting ready for UFC fights and he's just in there dumping them on their head beating them up still so it's uh so he he's still in that peak fight shape so he can be ready really quick and I know he he really wanted to put a fight together with uh with Khabib and Khabib really wanted the fight too but unfortunately Dana just uh didn't want to quite make that happen and now they're both retired why do you think that is? Because the UFC has always needed stars. I mean, the downside of the sport, right, is like unlike basketball where you can be the reigning champ for several years. Like, you remember there's that story about um, Pettis. He was on the Weedy Box. By the time the Weedy Box came out, he wasn't the champ anymore. Losing, yeah. yeah. You know, why do you think that that, that didn't come to fruition? Because I've heard that, and I think that that's a great fight. Yeah. Oh, man, that would have been possibly the biggest selling of all time. That yeah, would have brought for sure. the old school fans, the, you know, the new school fans, the... You know, obviously the Russians suffer and turn in. The Canadians are fanatic. Not that many Canadians, but they're fanatic for George. And uh, as far as why it didn't happen, I'm just speculating. But I think um, after George moved up away and beat uh, Bitsping for the title, he was supposed to defend the belt. And then he kind of stepped away because there was no uh, there was no mega fights. I think it really pissed Dana White off. So he's kind of like, well, you're just going to come in. If you beat Khabib, you're just going to step away and fuck me again. So I'm pretty sure that was the issue. I think once... Uh, once Dana saw Khabib was thinking about retiring, he should have offered him a fight. I think that's the fight that would have brought Khabib back because um, I believe it was uh, Khabib's dad was like really really loved GSP and wanted Khabib to fight GSP. So I think that might have been the fight that would have brought Khabib back, but he didn't offer. I don't, as far as I know, it was never offered to him. So the fight didn't come together. Yeah, I was just talking to someone uh, the other day. I was talking to Cheech, our production coordinator, and um, there's that that one time that like by every measurable metric everyone likes GSP. He's a nice guy. Yeah. He's, he's a gentleman. He's a, he truly is a martial artist first and a fighter second. He's not one of these just roughnecks who just wants to fight. Right. So like, it's funny because he has that, that very famous line with, uh, with after the, the Matt, the Matt Hughes fight that I was not impressed with your performance. I'm like, you don't understand how painful that was to listen to because he's not, that's not him. Like he's no, for yeah. sure. That's like, he, like that's a gun to his head. And, and if you just did a split screen of like a Conor McGregor shit talk session, and then the best thing he could work up was, yeah, I was not happy with, with, with what you have done here, I'm sorry to say this to you. Like you know, like so, so, someone probably pushed him to say that too. So oh, for sure. I think I think that that's what I heard is that, that, that Dana was trying to, or someone in, in there was trying to, like was like hyping, like you got to sell this fight, man. Go in there, say yeah. something you're comfortable with, say something. But like, I'm not impressed with your performance. I'm not impressed. That's yeah, like the, that's right. That's They're almost a compliment. That. It's almost like it's like well, thank you. You know, compared to some of the other stuff. Uh, let's talk Conor McGregor for a second. I mean, you've been in the sport forever, and you've seen guys kind of go up and down through these peaks and 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 you've experienced these highs and lows yourself a guy like conor mcgregor for me personally um when i've seen guys like the randy couture's the gina carano's who had a lot of hype a lot of uh, success they get into the sport as soon as that those those other you become like this center of attention and then you have not only sponsors relationships you have to deal with you have movie options you have so many more things pulling at you that it can be distracting do you think that that we're going to see conor mcgregor 2.0 or do you feel like his ship is kind of sailing at this juncture I mean, anything could definitely happen, but if I had to guess, I would say I feel like the ship's kind of kind of uh, kind of sailed. I think he's he got so mega famous that he kind of lost the. Probably, I'm sure he still trains, but probably not that same hunger. When you have that kind of fame and money, it's uh, seems a little distracted. I mean, guess like maybe. I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but quite possible he has a drinking and possibly drug problem too. With the way he seems to seems to party, so 
I would actually, even though I was never a huge Connor fan, I would love to see him come back in top form. That would actually be a, be the be the best comeback story even though i was never a huge connor believer i would still i still think it'd be great to come back there and look at his peak i think uh part of the reason he got so hyped is he, he is a great fighter but part of it is when he when he wins he looks extremely flashy and he's a great shit talker so, but he all but i think he always had holes he always had big holes in his grappling but when he wins it's usually within a couple minutes because he comes out there just so explosive right in the beginning so he so when he when he wins it looks like he's unstoppable yeah, there's, there's, I've always said there's really two, um, like routes to become famous, right? Fighting. You can either be the, the Kale Sonin where you, you, you're not necessarily the best in the world, but you can talk really good. You're great on a mic. You can hype and sell a fight. You're a Tito Ortiz esque, or you guys like you, GSP, where you're just going in there and you're not going to go sit there and tell them that I'm going to go bang your mother, but you're just going to constantly win. And whether people want to see you lose or not, they're just like, man, this guy's fucking, he's a murderer. Like he's tough, you know? And, um, when you got a guy like Conor McGregor, who's, who's, um, who's who's constantly winning and can talk shit. I mean, it, it, it does thrust you in the, the limelight. You said you weren't a Connor believer. I wasn't either for a long time, admittingly, yeah. until I watched his fight. I was there in a third or fourth row when he fought Jose Aldo and I was completely wrong. Yeah. I was like, this is a bad matchup. Jose is a great timing, has great strikes. Um, you know, he has be probably better wrestling and his jujitsu is world-class. People forget about that. I go, this is a bad matchup for Connor. And mm -hmm. then sure enough, he gets that right on the kisser. Yeah. yeah that it's that hook right away. Right. Yeah. No, no, he, he had some great performances. I'm not taking it away from I think he, I do think he's a great fighter. I just want to put him in the, in the list of like the greatest of all time, but I think he's a, I think he's a great fighter. And, you know, he's always, he always had the holes with the ground and, you know, his conditioning was a little uh, questionable. That's what, you know, I was uh, fortunate enough to corner Nate for both those fights. The first one, I think Nate had a two or three weeks notice, but he was able to go out there and, uh, and break Connor. Cause Connor, I don't think Connor never been pushed like that. So I think it was the second round. All of a sudden you could see Connor, you see look in his face when he was just throwing, throwing on Nate. And he, he was the one fade, not Nate. And that was a, uh, you could you could see you could see it turn around in his eyes. You know, have you ever tra you trained a little bit? Um, well, obviously you're training on the West Coast, but did you ever get a chance to train with? Um, um, oh my gosh, uh, uh, Ben Askren. Yeah, I did. Yeah, he came out and trained with me for like a week one time. He's a he's a fun guy to train with. He's a yeah. Great wrestler, obviously cool, scrambly, lots lots of cool stuff. So, do you think there's ever going to be a time where we see you boxing one of the Paul brothers? sure for the for the right pay i'll hop in there oh yeah i think that everyone's getting those paydays i was really surprised to see the woodley did you watch the woodley fight with him either the first one or the second one yeah i watched the first one on tv and i was out there at the last one i cruised out there with uh you know out there with nate so we were uh well actually we left right for the fight to be honest so we were at the fight but we didn't catch the fight but i i saw the clip of him knocking him out yeah what did, what did you take away from that i mean he's got he said he didn't watch the whole fight but the kids got power I mean, you can't like uh you know, you can't knock him. He's, he, he doesn't suck at boxing. He's also done a good job of picking his fights. He's getting guys that are smaller than him, guys that are past the peak of their career. You know, Woodley was a good boxer, huge power puncher, but he's, you know, you know, he's, he's ways past his peak. I mean, he's a guy fought. He's clearly way past his peak. And even, even in MMA, he was, um, he's a huge one-off power shot puncher. He looks for those one-shot knockouts, which doesn't transfer over quite as good to the bigger gloves. Four-ounce glove, you put them down, but what do they fight? Eight or ten-ounce gloves, so it makes it a little bit harder for those single-shot uh, knockout punches. So, it was, uh, you know, he picks his matchups, and he has about 20 pounds on him. But that being said, he's, he's not a bad boxer. So you know that I forget what you, it was. Uh, Jake Paul had mentioned a couple of times that he wants to come and do MMA, and he's talked to Dana and said, "I'll I'll come fight in the UFC." How do you think? I mean, there's so many people licking their chops to like, oh, could you imagine getting a call tomorrow? Like, here's a million dollars to go fight, go fight him. Like, pff, do you have to yeah. train? I mean, like, you, like he's. I, I heard he's a decent wrestler, but like, do you think we're gonna see him make an MMA debut? And if so, do you think it lands in the UFC? Um, 
it's and that's hard to say. I mean, he's definitely interested in it, but it's uh there's a lot to learn. It's a big transition. And the UFC generally doesn't bring in guys that uh that aren't that good. There's been a few guys they brought in, but even like Kimbo, they didn't bring him in until like they made him do the reality show. Um they brought in some pro wrestler that wasn't that great, but again, you know, he lost his fights. They didn't really give him easy fights, so it'd be hard to uh hard to see how the UFC is gonna match him up. So they could maybe make more sense to Bellator because they'll give him fights he'd win. They just have to have him fight like five Hezbollahs and then it'll just be perfect. It'll be the freak <laughs> fight of the, of the year. Right. So it's ironically I had, I was talking to Anik and I said, you think we're going to have, have uh, a Jake Paul, uh, UFC fight. And he was just adamantly that they wouldn't, but he did think that there was a slight possibility. Um, you know, and I, I couldn't tell if he was joking or not, but I believe that like the Hezbollah fight possibly could be that I would like, come on, are really? you not buying That'd that? Hilarious. Are you not wa- buying that pay-per-view? Like for sure. I want to see Hezbollah yeah. two two little people fight it would be freaking epic. That. Yeah. I mean, that would be great, man. Um, so what's next on your docket? You've been fighting off and on doing jujitsu or coaching. Are we going to see more Jake Shields MMA, more Jake Shields coaching or just more in the jujitsu space? Yeah. I mean, mostly probably just coaching and jujitsu. I've never officially retired. So if there was a, there's a good payday and a good opponent i'd hop in there but i'm not like out hunting fights i'm lucky where you know i have business opportunities going so i'm like making pretty good money so i don't need to step in there and fight but i mean all of us fighters it's it's hard to truly walk away it's, it's in our hearts so we still love it i still train all the time i'm training with a bunch of pros so for the right the right fight i would step in there but yeah i'm training a bunch of uh a bunch of really good guys i'm helping extreme couture and i got a bunch of uh tough up-and-comers so hopefully i can win some world titles through them so i don't have to go out there and do it anymore yeah, I think that 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 is challenging, right? Because like so much of um, identity is is formed with like fighting. You spend so much investment in time and mm-hmm. effort and friends and life and, and and experiences that you don't get to have because you're focused on this this course of action. That like to stop fighting, it's like almost like I felt you know like that was like a loss of my identity. I didn't fight you know at the top levels, but like when I stopped going to train two a days, seven six days a week for twenty years, it's like what do I do with my time now? You know, like but yeah, the, no, it's it's tough. Like you said, it becomes part of our identity and who we are. We get so used to going out there, the rush of the fight. And that's why I think, you know, being here in Vegas, I was never like trying to train fighters. And luckily I have you know, money coming other ways, but it's kind of naturally just started going and training. And now I'm still at the gym like twice a day. Cause it's like, it's what I love doing. I'm helping these guys out. And it's like, Hey, I'm training some good guys. So maybe I can go, you know, win world titles through them. It's not quite the same when you're cornering someone, but it's a, it's a pretty close rush when you're out there in someone's corner. It feels, feels pretty close. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's like, well, you have a daughter, right? Yeah. yeah, it's like having kids, right? Like, you, it's not the same, but you get to live vicariously through that that exactly. excitement that goes back through them. Mm-hmm. What's um if if for some reason the sport of MMA, jujitsu, and martial arts is just gone tomorrow, what would Jake Shields be doing? Um, man, I don't know because my whole life is entwined with fighting and jujitsu, and uh, it, it would be tough, you know. I got like you know some few business things going on, but even lots of that have things have to do with jujitsu. So I would have to restart and find something else I love. Do you have any, uh, like, uh, are you into the crypto space at all? You know, not really. I mean, I have a tiny bit of crypto, but not much. I wish I was buying that early on. Doesn't, doesn't everybody? Yeah, geez. Yeah, especially San Francisco. I had a lot of friends that were, you know, buying crypto. Most of them, uh, most of them made money but sold it too early because they were buying, it was like a couple hundred dollars uh, of Bitcoins. Yeah. I think uh, they sold it at a couple thousand. They're like, oh, we came up. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Yeah, oh. yeah, we just made like thirty thousand. Like, oh, if you kept holding it, you would have made yeah. a couple million probably. Oh, it's bananas, man! So, you know, seeing the sport transition as much as it has, what's one thing that you you would change about the sport, whether it's the front or the back side of it? Um, changing, I think it's just you know you can't really change it, but the fighters have to deal with promoters and 
and just the shadiness of that. I mean, that sucks. The weight cutting, I guess, too, because that's really hard to get rid of, though. I know one FC is trying, so I'm not really sure. It seems like people like that, so maybe getting rid of the weight cutting. But again, it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, the problem with the weight, you can still game that, like that whole like uh, that piss exactly. thing. Like if and people learn, oh, it sounds great on paper, and it's like from an organizational perspective. Oh, look, we're we're mm. we're you're, you're you're doing that um the gravity urine gravity the test hydration or, or the hydration right, right test. Here. Yeah, but like you, you can also like there's ways I'm not going to give away the cheat methods, but there's ways to cheat that where people are like, I've oh, well, that, that doesn't really make a big difference. Yeah. You know, I think that like one of the things that um, I've always been an advocate for that even though it's it's kind of ironic because you really can't because fighters by nature are not employees and you can't have a union unless you're an employee, but something that's been tossed around for years, and I'm talking since the first UFC I can think of, um, is the idea and the concept of a fighter's union to kind of protect both longevity because, I mean, you've, you, you're have you smart with your money, but there's been a lot of guys that made a bunch of money and then they're back in the, yeah. the poorhouse, man, and it sucks because no, you beat the shit no, out sucks. of your body. You beat the crap out of your body for years to have nothing to show for it so things like that or dealing with those promoters or healthcare and for me i'm a big advocate of like um it, you know like we see guys that that are like i won't even smoke weed and then i got injured i had to do pain pills and now i'm addicted to pain pills and now i'm fucked yeah. and then the the companies are like see ya, you you lost those fights goodbye and now you're they're like their lives are ruined you know like do you think that there's a way that to, to formulate some sort of a union or a manager's union or get, do you think we could ever get enough fighters on the same page to to create some momentum yeah, it's just, it's just really difficult because, like you said, we're all independent contractors, so it makes it really, really difficult. And then what the UFC does is they, you know, they, they put more of the money towards the guys at the very top. And uh, I don't know, if they, don't know if they do as much anymore, but back when I was fighting, they would give, you know, bonuses quite a bit. So if you don't, you know, if you're not saying anything bad about UFC and stirring up uh, problems, you might be getting some pretty nice bonuses. And sometimes, you know, the bonuses could be more than the fight purse even if you're in a big fight. So it's uh, the UFC made it where guys didn't want to really ruffle any feathers. But I think at this point... Um, they're just such a big organization. They need to pay better. I know, you know, yeah, they built it. They deserve to get rich. Dana deserves to be rich 100%. But they're making, I think they're paying out, I think someone said around 17% of, of their uh, of their money. To, and then the NFL, NBA generally paid about 50%. So that, that gets kind of ridiculous, you know? So even if it wasn't 50%, you know, there's no reason why they couldn't be paying out 30%, 40%. It's, so it would be great if you get all the fighters to go on strike. They all, if all the top guys did it, they'd have no choice. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate you uh, taking some time and, and sitting down and shooting the crap. And if you're ever out here in uh, in Florida, man, hit me up. We'll grab a uh, a, a, yeah, carrot, a carrot juice or whatever it is you you, you drink. <laughs> yeah, you're up above Miami, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm in uh, I'm in Pember Pines between Fort Lauderdale and Miami. So either cool, one, man. man. Good stuff. So cool. Yeah, yeah. Let's. Uh, hopefully, I'll see you soon. So great talking. All right, man. And I'll make sure not to hit you up when I'm in Vegas because I don't want to be one of those people. Like, God damn, I gotta take Chambers yeah. out on the strip. Yeah, yeah. Hit, hit, hit me out when you're here, though. Hit me. <laughs> I, it's a good excuse to go out. Uh, for, all right, awesome, man. Appreciate it. Take it easy, brother. Good night. Have a good day. You too, man. Bye. Take it easy.